Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Larry Hancock. We spoke, uh, I think it was last month or the month before, about a book he published titled Tipping Point, The Conspiracy That Murdered President John Kennedy. That book was published in March, March 2021, but after that book, he's also published another one, which you'll see on YouTube here, the title. The title of that book is Creating Chaos, Covert Political Warfare from Truman to Putin. That was published May 2021. Very timely book, considering what's happening right now in Eastern Europe and Russia, Ukraine. And uh, Larry Hancock brings his formal training in history and cultural anthropology to his research and writing on Cold War history and national security subjects. He's a graduate of the University of New Mexico, earned his BA with honors in history, cultural anthropology, and education. Following service in the United States Air Force, he pursued a career in technical education, computer communications, and technology marketing. And some of his other titles are Nexus, the CIA and Political Assassination, The Awful Grace of God, Religious, Religious Terrorism, White Supremacy, and the Unsolved Murder, Martin Luther King Jr. Also, Shadow Warfare, The History of America's Undeclared Wars. Another is Killing King, the multi-year effort to murder MLK. Then Surprise Attack from Pearl Harbor to 9-11 to Benghazi. Also, someone would have talked the assassination of President John F. Kennedy and the conspiracy to mislead history and unidentified the national intelligence problem of UFOs. This is the book we've been waiting for, the study the government did not do. And then another one uh, about Killing King, Killing King, Racial Terrorist, James Earl Ray, and the plot to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr. And then In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. And then again, we're going to be talking about this book, Creating Chaos, Covert Political Warfare from Truman to Putin. So Larry Hancock, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. Thank you. Uh, For people who may not have heard our last discussion, can you kind of talk about the arc of what you've written about and then what led you to put together this book in 2021, Creating Chaos? Uh, sure. When I really started writing, I was focusing on Cold War history and and largely on political assassinations of the 60s. But that led me into doing a great deal of research into actual operational doctrine of the FBI, the CIA, how they conducted activities. And I, I became fascinated with that and and went on into a variety of areas, covert operations, uh strategic uh, strategic attack and, and defensive preparation, basically kind of tutoring myself on the entire scope spectrum of national security. Uh, and it was a great time to do it because there were so many documents and so many materials that were newly released at the turn of the century. It was, it was like taking a brand new look on 
on history. So it was a, a great time to be doing that. And the really reason I ended up doing Creating Chaos is that I had, by that point in time, I'd kind of covered all the bases, <laughs> covert operations, political action. And so I decided it would be useful to paint a picture of how that had evolved during the Cold War and more importantly, how it was changing in a new century. And, you know, it was a, it was a really, again, a seminal time to do that because the United States was moving into different types of, of activities that had largely given up its own covert operations. And what we were seeing was the emergence of political action and covert operations uh, from Russia, China, Iran, different different players in this venue because they were they were beginning to pursue the same types of agendas that the U.S. had done during the Cold War. So it was a, a great point to kind of flip it, say, you know, how did this work? How did the U.S. do it? Now, how are these new entries into the arena doing it? And it, it allowed, you know, looking at it from both sides, which I thought was very interesting. And I think I may have lost your audio. I, I muted it. Sorry. It was really okay. interesting reading the book. Sorry. I had a, the some uh, emergency fan was driving by. Uh, the um, intro to the book had a interesting duality between the and this kind of head to head fight contest between post war U.S. and Russia, and you see that play out. But also your intro, you talk about I think interesting names people may have heard about Machiavelli and George Kennan. Um, can you kind of talk about those figures and what they were, why their analysis kind of plays out through the whole book? Sure. I, I think because when you, when you look at the big picture of, of basically adversaries facing off against each other and especially major geopol geopolitical powers, this is absolutely nothing new. We saw the, we saw the same thing during the ages of empire with the British, the French, the Russian empires, but far earlier than that in the, in the Mediterranean states, uh, Italy, uh, Rome, the, the, you know, basically this is, Machiavelli was, was a kind of a political pundit uh, and, and wrote a, an excellent short piece called The Prince, which says, look, here's, here, here's what we see going on. Princes always compete with each other. This is just the way of life. You might as well expect it. And here's what they do. Here's what they do to stay in power. Here's what they do to grow their empires, which they see as the only way to stay in power. Basically, his, his viewpoint of the way the world worked was a ruler stays in power literally by constantly engaging with who he considers to be his primary opponents. Now, he may do that covertly. He may do that on the battlefield. Um, if, if he's really good, he does it without going to war. And Machiavelli is, is thought of in classic sense of basically the, the early dirty tricks guys. Right. He lays out real, all of the, yeah, yeah, all, politic, those you, you know. yeah, all those things you do. So you don't have to go to war. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's nasty. I mean, but as far as he was concerned, this is kind of like 
the practical guide to power, which means competition is always ongoing and you have to accept that and deal with it. Right. And then, so you kind of start the book off post-World War II. There's a lot of very important people and agendas and studies that happened right after that. Can you kind of do a, a brief uh, overview of that? Uh, sure. I, I think the, the most important thing to carry out of, of how we got to where we are now, quite frankly, is that immediately as World War II was ending, I, the public view was that the Allies had won. However, the bottom line is that well before the war was over, uh, probably a good year before the war was over, it had become apparent to the American leadership that working with Stalin, working with the Soviet Union, was not a long-term, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to, that's not the way Stalin conducts business. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. president is famous for having having said, basically, you can't work with them. You can't trust them. You know, we, we're we have to accept that. And that that take on affairs was stimulated by several things that were, of course, covered up by the time at, at the time. But we know now, for example, uh, the United States was really trying to to stage tactical operations, especially air operations with the Soviet Union, using Soviet bases, recovering aircraft inside uh, the Soviet territory after striking Germany or Japan. And what they encountered each and every time they did that is that the Soviets would impound the aircraft and imprison the crews and essentially go on to reverse engineer the very advanced bomber technology the U.S. had that the Soviets didn't at the time. And once this occurred three or four times, and we ended up with air crews in prison, you know, it, it became clear that it wasn't a two-way street. And and the, the military, the U.S. military, took that very seriously. And I will say, basically, we know now that they were quite, I won't say afraid, they were quite committed to being able to deal with the gigantic Red Army that was moving against the Germans and started actually laying out their own plans, doing their aerial reconnaissance for an immediate warfare with Stalin because they really felt the chance of his continuing on west to the channel was quite high. And, and that the only, the only way that they would have to deal with it is immediately, literally go to war again with their ally. So that, that was the groundwork. This, this started before the end of the war. So all of the, the celebrations were kind of done tongue in cheek because this divide had already begun during the war. Immediately following the war, um, the political situation really became one. And, and one of the things I try to document in the book is if you see the documents that we can see now, during 1947 and 1948, the United States internally conducted a series of extremely high-level panels uh, to lay out a strategy to fight, quote-unquote, world communism. And the upshot of all those panels were official doctrine that basically said the United States has to be prepared to fight just as dirty 
as we see the communist regimes fighting. And that, strangely enough, was the origin of both the CIA and later the NSA, and actually remains in the legal code pertaining to the CIA's covert action programs. That Those decisions and that approach to dealing with an adversary on a, a level playing field, as nasty as it might be, are still on the books, basically, in our legal code. Right. So it really started right then. You talk about the Doolittle Committee, the Jackson Committee report, and McKinnon wrote a very influential paper, too, where he called, I think he called Stalin a Russian neurotic, but that still is studied in foreign policy college classes to this day, right? The Kennan letter. I forgot the name. Of it. It, it is in the negotiators. And, and I hate to say this, it's sad to say, but the negotiators after the first two or three post-war years, and I think it may have been Kennan who came up with it, but those, the state department people that were engaged in ongoing negotiations with, with the Russians from a cultural standpoint, basically came up with a rule of thumb that probably still applies in this century as much as it did then. And that's what the Ukrainians are facing now is that, and, and this is, I'm, I'm lifting it from them, did not make it up. This is from their internal memoranda. And basically their cut was if you're in negotiation with the Russians and they want to do something, if you can demonstrate to them that it will cost them more than it's worth, they won't do it. If you can't, they will. That, that's just the culture. That's the mindset. You need to get over negotiations. That's not whatever. It's not really a negotiation. It is a force calculus. Interesting. And so all that stuff started then. It really was that that really energized the really the U.S. maybe imperial or very strong foreign policy involvement in many nations. All It really started with Italy, Czechoslovakia started right then within a few years after the war, right? It, it did. And our it's, it's interesting. The first things were, things were actually far livelier immediately after the war than you got from the media coverage. I mean, you had troops committed in Greece. You had troops committed in the Balkans. You had uh, U.S. aircraft shot down repeatedly all along the Soviet borders. Uh, we were, the U.S. was taking just just to kind of monitor from outside these occupied territories, you know, where the, the Russian forces were. There was no qualm on the Russian side of bringing down American reconnaissance aircraft, even if they weren't over their borders. And that really exacerbated the system, uh, both in, in Europe and the Far East. Uh, so it, what it, it led to the fact that the Cold War really wasn't as cold as we think it was. And the United States immediately was, I think, overwhelmed by the fact, and I go through this, the United States did not really foresee how effective the Soviets would be in essentially balkanizing Eastern Europe. You know, putting the army in, putting a regime in place, implementing draconian uh, suppression measures, all these east the the Eastern Bloc fell within a matter of months to years. That was never anticipated. And that what the U.S. decided that had to do was to push back with what now we would call 
a fragmentation program, uh, not militarily, but to try to carry out political action to fragment these new Soviet regimes in Eastern Europe. And that was that was really the start of the Cold War from the CIA's perspective. Uh, the interesting thing about that was it was almost a total failure. In fact, let me rephrase that. It was a total failure, um, both from a propaganda and political action standpoint and from the fact that the CIA began putting teams of, of exiles. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Uh, that they would recruit back into their home countries and literally put hundreds of teams back into those countries and lost them all. They were never able to generate... Uh, any noticeable, at least for several years, any noticeable insurgency. Uh, that did not occur until much later in the 50s. So the first... There were disasters, too. The whole Hungary uprising in 56 was a foreign right. policy disaster, too, right? You mentioned that. Absolutely. And and even it, it was a trap for Eisenhower because, it, and it, it's very sad to look back at it, basically... Eisenhower authorized this policy of generating insurrections. Okay. I mean, that, that was what it was all about. They fragment the, the regimes, institute insurrections, yet he was unwilling to provide military support to follow up on the insurrections, which in both, you know, Poland and Hungary and Czechoslovakia led to abortive insurrections with thousands of people dying expecting the United States was going to come to their aid, which he was never prepared for. And you state in your book, Eisenhower said flat out, we don't want to agitate if it's going to end up with more repression. And that some of this happened like, and I actually think that the CIA agent who was handling Hungary, Bissell had a nervous breakdown and committed suicide because the people yeah. he set up, they all got taken away to the gulag. They all got killed or shot or it was a total disaster. So, so that's just one a, a real disconnect between you know what Eisenhower authorized operationally, yet what he was willing to port, you know, support from a, a high-level strategy point, which what happens is as you just said, it leaves the guys on the ground uh in a terrible position. Uh right. And so these are the kind of things that happen. You define these this political warfare covert. You also mentioned this idea of hybrid warfare and shaping. Can you define those terms? Uh, sure. And and what I, I tried to walk through in, in the book was actually to go chapter, after, after the introduction that we've talked about here, to go chapter by chapter and illustrate these stages of political warfare. Because if you, if you follow the Machiavellian principle, which I, unfortunately I have to say is still at work to just as now as it was in Venice, um, there is always conflict between 
nation states or principalities or empires that want ge you know, geopolitical influence. They want to be seen as major players on the world stage. So if nothing else, there's always this, this tension. And what they do is they try to shape each other's behaviors. Shaping can be a very benign thing. I mean, shaping, if done well, means that you maintain good diplomatic relations, that, you know, your people make good contacts within the other government. They try to highlight common goals and interests. And, and shaping can be very positive. Uh, and then that's what I would say good diplomacy is about. Uh, and that goes on all the time between allies. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that the U.S. and England, the U.S. and France, even between allies, this kind of shaping relationships go on. You're simply trying to, to influence their policies to be as close as possible to your policies by, you know, joining your self-interest. And, and to some extent, it also works with your adversaries. Uh, so that, that's a benign thing. But you have to assume that that's always in play everybody has has an agenda if without being naive about it um but what the next stage is is what we think of as political action when you're not you move to not relying just on good faith okay maybe we don't have strictly common agendas maybe i need you to make sure that you don't interfere with something that i'm doing you know i don't want you to pass legislation that opposes some of the things I'm doing in my, you know, my political activities. And then you start getting the dirty tricks. You start getting blackmail. You start getting influence peddling. You get donations. You get, you know, dirty money basically behind the scenes. And that you, you can tell when things are starting to, to go bad when those sorts of activities start happening. Uh, when, when you see your own legislators or your own advisors or consultants are revealed as actually doing business with one of your adversaries. And of course we've seen that recently, you know, there's, there's, you have to watch for it because it, it, it indicates that the slope has changed and that somebody has decided that it's worth the risk to move to a certain level of dirty tricks and political action. Hybrid warfare, something quite a bit different. Uh, hybrid warfare says, okay, I tried that. I tried shaping. I tried political action. It's not working for me. I need to up the ante, basically. So I can do it a couple of different ways. But the most, the, the two ways that it usually occurs, which the U.S. has done and which Russia does now, is to actually look to some level of regime change, either, uh, again, by infiltrating political parties, uh, establishing a relationship with a political party to put, you know, people that are more favorable to you in power, or by literally fragmenting a nation, an opponent, to the extent that whatever regime in power is, in, is ineffective. If, if I can fragment that regime, either, either gets me what I want, basically. I either got control over a new regime, one way or the other, 
or I fragmented it so it, it's ineffectual and I can do what I want anyway. <laughs> so those are kind of the tears that you walk through and it tells you how bad it's getting. And that's what kind of played out so much during this whole Cold War is Russia really was involved. People say Russia was kind of a full and phony boogeyman, but they were involved in propagandizing. Khrushchev was supporting certain states. So what the level of real threat was may be open to debate or argument, but there really was like the Russians really, and Stalin was an idealist. He really wanted to have the, the common turn involved all over the place, right? I mean, so it really was a real kind of event. And he had, he had a great advantage during the Cold War, and the U.S. had a grave disadvantage. During the Cold War, the the Soviets were seen as the, the anti-imperialist, populist, revolutionary supporters. The Soviets could always present themselves as being on the side of the people. So if you're encouraging revolutions, that, that's a sweet spot. You know, if, if you're trying to oust regimes and put in regimes that are favorable, favorable to you, being seen as the revolutionary force in the world is a soft spot, whereas the U.S. and the Western powers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Unfortunately, repeatedly fail to grasp concepts like imperialism or nationalism or, you know, they just, they could not see what was going on. They could see it only in terms of the communist world mission. They couldn't see it in terms of what was really going on with these new nation states, whether they're in Africa or Latin America or Southeast Asia. So we kept putting ourselves in a, in a position where we're, we don't, we don't have any, the level of Navy native support that the Soviets often were able to claim and we're like pushing uphill. Right. So, but there was so much going on, like Indonesia, there just was so much conflict between these two blocks, right? All that time. And all they were, it's kind of like the, the, this leads up really to the 2022. This is all kind of happening again. 
what Did you it that? is and, and, and what I, I try to call out in the book. And it's it's hard to see until you see this broad picture is role reversal. You know, during the Cold War, the Soviets have the advantage in that they're always can picture themselves as the good guy and they can they can position the Western powers, whether it's the U.S. or the f- former colonial governments as the bad guys. You know, so whatever regime we're supporting must be evil. <laughs> it must be capitalist. It must be oppressive. It's, it's sort of, okay, now guess what? What happens in this century? Um, the, new, the new players on the ground want their own spheres of influence. Uh, China wants its sphere of influence. Iran wants its sphere of influence. Putin wants to restore the image, not just of the Soviet Union, but of the Russian Empire. You know, so they they have turned this whole thing around. And and an interesting thing is they're forcing themselves there to some extent. They're giving up the they have to give up the tactics that the Soviet Union could use because they're turning more and more to military action, to to hybrid warfare with a major military component and to literal military action. I mean, you look at the look at Iran uh, in the in the Gulf. Or you look at China in the South China Sea. Obviously, you can see what what Putin is doing in Ukraine. And so they've They've just as the U.S. often got trapped into full scale military operations. Look at Southeast Asia. We literally got trapped into Laos and Vietnam, uh, almost got trapped into Indonesia, almost got trapped with major military incursions in Cuba and Latin America. Now they're falling into the same pit. Now, whether it's going to work better for them, for us, the, the one thing is that they're we were always trying to do this kind of like deniably, like we're the good guys and we're going to war. Uh, but it's, we'd have no vested interest, right? We don't really want territory. We're really not trying to claim spheres of influence, whether we were or not. Okay. But that was our, that was our line. Um, with Russia and China and Iran, they're not bashful about it at all, which is, is a real advantage. They don't have to engage in, deniable activities this they just go do it right but i mean they're still kind of i mean things are still tense these are old stories like something just happened in the last week between lithuania kaliningrad that whole channel shut down so the tension these kind of uh this new block is actually happening the chinese russian block is taking place so a lot of the themes in your book and the background material really do apply to this current situation of this you call it the great game or Brzezinski, the grand chessboard. Like, how do you, how do you perceive after writing this book to Putin, Truman to Putin, how do you perceive this conflict war in Ukraine and, and how does the background of your book play in, uh, explain a lot of what's happening? What I can't fathom. And this just, this is kind of driving me nuts at present. Putin in particular was proving himself to be a grand tactician, uh, during the first couple of decades of the century. I mean, it, basically taking the position of, of, you know, managing things at a tactical level without becoming overtly engaged militarily. He, he, he did that very, very well. 
uh, and and was being successful. If if you look at the the outreach in Russian sphere of influence, look at Syria, look at North Africa and Libya, look at the Russian influence in Central Africa. I mean, Russia went from basically having no reach into the to the Middle East or to Africa or most importantly to the Mediterranean. And, and suddenly they ha- are using this, this whole concept of the Wagner military group, which is deniable. Uh, and and they're, they're laying claims to ports. They now in Syria have a Mediterranean port, which is totally under their control, which they've already always wanted. They have access to immense resources in Central Africa which mineralogical resources and the, and the way they did, they did it is brilliant. I mean, basically Putin sends in an oligarch who's got a, the Wagner group of, you know, basically mercenary paramilitaries and says, we'll cut you a deal to protect your regime. Okay. The regime's got a lot of problems because it's a dictatorship. So it says, yeah, I'll take it. And then the deal is, all right, well, we're happy to provide military protection to your nation. But by the way, you need to sign this other contract with my buddy who's another oligarch. And this contract is going to give them access to all your mineral rights. You're okay with that, right? Uh, and, and so it, it's kind of from a tactical standpoint, it's a no-brainer. It's, you're, you're actually making money off extending your you know, geopolitical influence and you're making money off it. How can you get better than that? So... With all of that kind of success, why in the world would you then suddenly turn to this overt military action that he's jumped into a full-scale war with the Russian army? I, it, it's it is. If you'd add, if we'd had this interview three years ago, I would say you know the guy is brilliant. He's patient. He's got a strategy that's working. He's got tactics that are working. And then suddenly it's like, what did, what happened? Um, because what I'm seeing now is totally different than the approach that he was taking up until two or three years ago. Uh, Belarusia, as an example. I mean, you would have to consider that excellent tactical political action. You've got a guy who's essentially a, 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 a dictator in Belarus who is just about to be ousted. Putin goes in and through his oligarchs essentially puts enough money on the table and enough force on the table to keep him in. And suddenly he's got Belarusia, which is, is a huge win for him. And Belarusia is declared as a, I forget what they're calling it. It's part of the, essentially part of a federated state of Russia. So he's, he's rebuilding the empire. And just three days ago, two days ago, they've announced that they're going to implement an integrated air defense system between Belarus and, and, and Russia. So, but, but then that was last September, <laughs> major victory last September. What happened over winter? <laughs> Why would he just kind of go off the deep end and turn to major conventional military action, which is leaving him nothing but a devastated area in the Donbass that even if he wins it, you know, he's got nothing but, but damage. I mean, that he would have to support. I, 
So anyway, a, a great question. And I thought I had an answer up until a few months ago, and now I don't understand at all. But it, this one assault has reordered so many, so many things. There's massive inflation. Some of the goods that Russia used to provide, uh, the realignment of nation states. Uh, it's really a, a pivotal, like a, just that small little piece of Ukraine is now a pivotal. Well, his economic influence. Russia, Russia's, I mean, you look at what they had. They had essentially bought their way into owning Western Europe via energy. I mean, you can say, but when I, I said shaping, I mean, energy is, is basic shaping. If you can, if you can tie yourself to a, to another party so that you're indispensable, you know, they're, they're always, what will always occur in any dialogue when you say, well, you know, we'd really like to do this and they'll go, well, that not might not be our first priority, but you know, we're still your energy partner. So we'll, we'll just kind of ignore that, which of course they did. I mean, look, Western Europe and the U S ignored Crimea and Russia, Russia took Crimea and the West just kind of went, okay, well, it's not worth it. But now with what using energy as a weapon, Putin tore all of that apart in what, 90 days? Now who would trust Putin? I mean, do the Chinese and the Indians really trust Putin? No, they will buy his cheap energy as long as it's a great deal. <laughs> you know, if, if any of those parties think that this, this is anything other than opportunistic, I'm, I would be surprisingly naive. Larry, can you explain or define what a rat Wagner group is? Uh, Joker's asking that question. Sure. The w Wagner group was a paramilitary group, uh, the Wagner company. Uh, Wagner's an oligarch. Uh, the Wagner group was up to a certain point in time, and I'm, I'm trying to date it, I think it was about... 2000, somewhere between 2008, 2012, it was illegal inside Russia to operate a paramilitary group, kind of like Blackwater. It, it was illegal. Uh, he couldn't do it. Then suddenly Putin, as he began to expand his control, overrode that. So the Wagner group essentially became a, a larger scale version of Blackwater, which Russia started which Putin allowed to sell its services overseas, uh, primarily first in Syria, where the Wagner Group actually uh, deployed hundreds of its its paramilitary. And when we say paramilitary operators, that's that's not really wrong. They're conventional military forces. They have aircraft. They have helicopters. They you know they have light artillery at least. And so the Wagner Group. Uh, was fighting in Syria. Actually, the first place that we ever had, the U.S. has had a direct confrontation with Russia is when a Syrian force supported by a Wagner group force engaged American combat troops in Syria. And actually, they stepped into it, got caught in an artillery barrage, and several dozens of them got killed. And one of the things that really brought this to world attention, and it, it, it's sad, but it also shows a, a very effective tactic. When the bodies went home, and these were regular 
Russian military personnel that had kind of been detailed to the Wagner group. Okay. Their relatives thought that they were in the Russian military. What they were told was, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're mistaken. They're working for the Wagner group and any, you know, uh, benefits or death benefits. Don't talk to us. It, it's not a Russian government thing. It's a Wagner group thing. Talk to them. And so it became a beautiful form of deniability for fairly large forces. In, in Syria, you actually, we know they had uh, Wagner group pilots flying jet aircraft, jet strike aircraft aircraft in in libya in north africa because some of them got shot down wow so it was just another way kind of like the u.s uh, russians putting out a lot of their own interior forces under uh disguise or a guise or denied deni oh, absolutely but, but more effectively because putin actually didn't have to pay for it it's like self-funding it's, no, it's, it's a brilliant capitalist ploy. <laughs> you know, it's when the CIA did it, we spent hundreds and thousands of millions of dollars kind of trying to be deniable uh, with, with the Wagner group and the Russian paramilitaries. They're actually self-funding ex except wow. in the Ukraine. And right at the moment, I just read today, the formations that are giving the Ukrainians the most trouble in the Donbass are not, Russian uh, regular recruits or military, they are Wagner group formations. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I've heard different stories that Putin is not using his best troops and that he's just kind of putting a, you know, a huge army in there and just, it's not like uh, they really want, they just kind of want a slow grind. They're not really going after objectives with a great rapidity which is, you know, may not be the usual thing. But, uh, Larry, there's a question here from uh, Happy Jack. He says, do you, Larry, do you think Putin's power in Russia will wane? Do you have any thoughts on that, considering? I, Putin has entrenched himself so well and so, so quietly. I, I think the Russians didn't even see it happen. Putin managed to take total control of the Russian media, mostly by literally having his his oligarch friends by the Russian media company. Uh, he's managed to take control over the, uh, the police and the, the justice organizations. Again, at this point in time, I, he, he is controlling the communication so well that what the Russian public is seeing broadcast about this war in Ukraine is so far from the reality of the war that I don't know that there's really any challenges. Um, and, and you just mentioned they're managing to conceal a lot of the losses uh, through various, you know, rather gruesome things, such as they've deployed mobile crematoriums. So as long they, so far they've been very effective at controlling the media view of this combat as being a very limited special operation in, in support of the enclaves, which he's done before. I mean, his when Russia went to war in Georgia, uh, they pulled this off quite well by just saying, oh, we're, we're, we're supporting Russians who are being persecuted in enclave. He's making that story stick. So I don't see any immediate risk to him as long as he has such control. I, from what I can tell, and 
And I have to say, be honest, what a lot of what I have in the book, even back as far as writing Creating Chaos a few years ago, was how you managed to consolidate this control and essentially destroy the Russian free press. Uh, it's kind of like the Soviet Union. Once you establish that kind of media control, it's it's it. I don't, I don't know what kind of shock is going to loose it from him. It's it's not evident at this point. And the other thing that's evident is Putin has absolutely no line of succession. There is nobody that's been put in. He has no second in command. If you look at their news releases, Putin is no longer even referred to as the president of Russia. He is the supreme commander of Russia. Wow. That's just basically like Stalin. Yes, yeah. Stalin did. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, and so without any without any line of even strongman type succession, I don't think there's an oligarch in position. You know, you might think, right. well, there'll be some kind of palace revolution. I think he's protected himself from that. Um, he may be been, yeah. overseas. <laughs> yeah, there's been suspicious deaths and political players around Putin and tons of surprise suppression if not outright murder of journalists in russia but he's actually kind of in an old uh history of russia which is very similar to the soviets but even the Tsar was the same thing they they consolidated power nobody was a threat and uh so it seems to be more of even a russian tradition depending upon whatever line of political parties there are uh larry we're at 42 minutes is there anything you'd like to add or anything i missed there's a lot more in this book i mean you go in detail about a lot of different subjects sovereignty, consequences. What would you like to say before we wrap it up? I think I'd really like to wrap it up by, and you just kind of, you laid the groundwork for that. What we're seeing at the moment in, in 2022, culturally, with with Russian culture, is not new. It, it is these, when you have Putin comparing himself to a famous you know, Russian empire builder, Peter the Great, what we have to face is we're not in a new century. We, we may be in a new century. Russia is not. And the lesson that we have to learn is that this is, this is not the Russian Federation that we thought was coming out of the Cold War. Uh, it, it's not the Russian democracy that we would have liked to see. That just didn't happen. And so I think what we have to accept is a, a strong reality check of, of where we are on, on the world stage with Russia. And, and I think the other thing that we didn't get a chance to talk about that's in the book, for those people that, that really think that this is all NATO's fault uh, and a lot of Russian propaganda is pushing that and has been pushing that for a couple of years now, I would really urge you to read the book because one of the things I do in the book is go almost month by month, year by year, through all of the color revolutions and in Georgia and Ukraine and, and across the, the former Soviet bloc and, and talk about how that really happened and who the players were and who the who the NGOs were and who's were whose money was going into it. And I think if you if you really look at that, I, I've actually been able to say, okay, here's how much money Putin was putting into the Ukrainian campaign, and here's how much money the West was putting into it. You'll you'll get a, a much more factual story 
that this was it was politics. It was always politics. And it was always basically Western democracy, per se, like it, don't like it, whatever, versus uh, Russian sphere of influence. And there was going to be a clash. And the roots of it actually go back, I think, kind of amazing, go back to uh, the democracy initiative started under the Bush administration, where the Bush administration actually allocated large sums of money to be used in Eastern Europe to help create open democracies, open voting systems, voting transparencies, vote counts, so on and so forth, which is, it's, it's hard to really say, okay, that's an evil agenda, but somehow that's what in, in many cases has been trying to, well, the, the West was trying to undermine Russia. Well, in a way, yes, they were trying to introduce democracy and democracy has never been an exciting thing, you know, to power blocks. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So uh, we're in interesting times. This goes into the background up to the per present day. I highly recommend it. Where's people, where's the best place for people to get the book creating chaos? Oh, Amazon is definitely the best place. It's the quickest it's available in both yes. Kindle and, and paperback. And you have a you're active on WordPress too, right? You post there. I am. I, I post routinely on on WordPress. I just, uh, yeah, I just it, finished blogging. I, I I try to blog routinely on WordPress about basically about current events as per history. It's like there's way too much history in current events. I wish there weren't, but it it looks too much the same. So we have to be cautious. There's tons of history in this event. I mean, it really goes back to the Napoleonic invasion of Russia and the borderlands between the Russian heartland and their impression about Europe. And so they've been invaded twice, really brutal invasions, Napoleonic and then the Hitler Hitler invasion. So they that neuroses that Kennan thought about, I think, is justified. So anyway, highly, highly recommend this book. Thanks so much for your time, Larry. I'll put the contact information in the WordPress into the book in the show notes. Again, the full title of the book that was published in 2021, prescient for today's events, Creating Chaos, Covert Political Warfare from Truman to Putin by Larry Hancock. Thanks so much for your time. You bet. Enjoyed it again. All right. All right, cool. Stay there. Okay, I got Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.